0: Welcome to this episode of Inside Publishing, the series where we interview industry experts on everything publishing. This week, Mandy continues her series on diversity in publishing in an interview with Delana Spencer, who is commissioning editor at Sage. They discuss the high turnover of Bain staff, Delana's work commissioning books and social activism, as well as the impact of diversity and inclusion groups. Welcome, Delana, thank you for being here this week. Hi, thanks for having me. So, um, just to dive in, could you tell us about yourself and your role and your background? Yep. So. I, as you said, I'm a senior commissioning editor.
1: I work at Sage Publishing, which is an academic publisher. I'm an editor in the books department and I work on educational texts. And that's both educational texts for university students and also for practitioners. Um, I've been at Sage for, I think, about five years and a half now. Um, I started as an editorial assistant on the sociology list. I moved to working on the sociology, politics and media list. And then I basically went for this promotion and commissioning editor in 2018. And then that was the start of my own commissioning.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. So within your company, I believe there's something called the BAME Group. Mm -hmm. And could you tell us a bit more about the BAME Group, like how it came to be, what the mission is and what role you play in this group?
1: Yeah. So my friend Lena and I um, founded the BAME group in, I think it was around 2018, just after, I think just during summer. And basically during that time at SAGE, um, they were looking into the gender pay gap and the gender pay gap started a load of different um, actions across the company to do with diversity. So there was career progression, um, there was flexible working, but all of these things seemed really geared towards the company makeup. So they seemed to really support white women, of which there is an overabundance of within the company. And in all of the work and action that we saw being taken, there was nothing that directly affected people of colour and also LGBTQIA plus people. So Lena and I started to kind of ask around separately about starting an employee led group, which would just be primarily a safe space for employees to get together and talk about their experiences at Sage or to vent or to anonymously pass on suggestions, which Lena and I could then take to people who are higher up than us, who, had, who have the ability to affect change. Um, these groups that we wanted to start they weren't really welcomed with open arms we did receive some pushback um so we had to just kind of go ahead and push through and start the groups anyway and I would say they've been incredibly successful so we have a teams group we have meetings before um COVID happened we did have social meetups as well and they will definitely continue but they really have been a space where people can just come in and chat and be themselves and not have to I guess police themselves or be hyper vigilant or hyper aware or worry about what anyone is thinking about them Um, which I think a lot of people from marginalized groups can do in publishing because it's just not a place that's built for them Lena and I kind of took things a bit further and we joined um, what we call the DI Council, so Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Council at SAGE, which has mostly VPG members. So people that are higher up and can affect change, but consequently those people are then all white and don't really understand the experiences that were the lived experiences that we have And they haven't got the same learning that Lena and I have as well. So we kind of went into that group. And after the murder of George Floyd, things were taken on board a lot more. We were listened to a lot more and changes were made, suggestions were taken. Um, It's frustrating, I would say. And that whole year was a really frustrating year. Um, Just in terms of the fact people were actually listening to us. Because of the murder of a black man, and because it took place in lockdown, I guess there was a lot more spotlight. It affected a lot more people. But for white people, it seemed to be a surprise, and definitely for the white people in the company. But for everyone else, it was not. But something, you know, if I could say a silver lining came from it, which I'm a bit old to say, it was that people kind of saw that there was a problem and wanted to make change and saw how it affected their colleagues of colour um so yeah that's a bit about the group and I guess something else um, that we did on the side of that was start the allies group which we're not super involved in in that we don't run like um meetings with the allies or anything it's more of a collaborative Microsoft Teams place where people can educate each other share resources and recommend things like documentaries websites whatever so it's more a place where white people can go and educate themselves um, and do it off their own back so one white person can share something and then say we should you know do this and it just takes some of the pressure off of the people of colour and also the LGBTQIA group to do that kind of educational work themselves. And then finally, another thing that Lena and I started um, were the social justice discussion groups. And again, that's a chance for us to educate in a safe space and look to different issues. So we've looked at um, the prison industrial complex in America, we've looked at trans issues, we've looked at immigration, um, Windrush in the UK, we usually suggest um, a film or a documentary, not necessarily a book, because books are not always super accessible for people, and we get together and talk about it. I would say the only issue that we've kind of had with that is that it's become more of a kind of lecture, I guess, where Lena and I just things um, people are quite hesitant to speak up but are very eager to learn um, so those are those are the groups that we've set up and the things that we've been doing within them
0: so i understand with a lot of sort of publishing houses there are networks or you know bame people or lgbtqia plus people do you find there's a struggle between um feeling like you need to educate people versus sort of you just want to let people know what's going on and share your story yeah,
1: I guess there is definitely there's definitely a, a struggle and a conflict. It's a huge emotional burden, I would say, um, to take the position of speaking on people's behalf, but also trying to educate people. Um, I think something that can be weaponized against marginalized groups is that idea of oh it shouldn't be on them to teach and that's completely true but sometimes that can be used to take away power from people so as much as sometimes I might want to break and I don't want to necessarily be educating people my worry is that if I kind of say I'm tired I need I need just some space that that will be taken away from me that that would be used against me in the future Um, so it's kind of a struggle between those two things and I guess because of the way that they're recruiting at Sage and probably at other publishers there's a lot of diversity recruitment recruitments at the bottom mm-hmm. um, in internship roles and in editorial assistant roles. I am the only person of colour that's at commissioning as to level within books and who's also come up within books who started as an editorial assistant and worked way up mm-hmm. so I feel like I'm in that position and I need to use my voice. I feel that's a responsibility that I have. So it, I kind of feel like if I want people to get to my level and to, to be surrounded by people who are diverse at my level, then I need to use the power that I have to affect change.
0: Yeah, and that leads on to the next question that I wanted to ask. So as you said, there's a lot of internship initiatives going or sort of like graduate schemes that target um, people from diverse groups, which is amazing. A lot of publishing companies are making an effort to include um, as many groups as they can. But it seems to be the pattern that, especially people of colour, they tend to stick to or move around in the assistant level roles or the entry level roles and never really stay on at the company for a long periods of time. Hence why yeah. there's not many senior people, be it editorial, marketing, um, sales within publishing, yeah. that are from diverse groups. Why do you think that is? Why do you think they just quit after one job or move around? Why are they not staying?
1: I think there's a few reasons for this, and it's not necessarily um, just an issue that Sage has, this is an issue across all of publishing. And I think when people get to commissioning editor level, they're comfortable, they don't want to leave, it's a job that they're happy in. And I think because there's not always space to grow a publishing company, there are not new opportunities that come up at certain levels. So there's a point where people, white people, cis, heterosexual people are already in those positions and they're not leaving. So the opportunities are not coming up. Opportunities are few and far between. Publishing is a woman majority, not dominated, but majority industry. So perhaps you could move up to do a maternity cover, but then if that person comes back, you have to move back into your role. You might not find anything elsewhere or something else within that publisher. So I think it's just I think a large part of it is that there are a lack of opportunities and I don't I mean I don't know the rate of growth across publishing but I imagine it can be quite hard to start a new lists or to go into new areas so I would say there's a lack of opportunity I think a lot of it is it feels a bit like gatekeeping it feels a bit like publishing is about building networks and who you know I think the kind of changes that we have around recruitment that are coming in and the way that people are recruiting are making things fairer. Like, not necessarily being able to just have a promotion, but having to apply and interview for a promotion, for example, that makes things a bit fairer. But people are still more likely to go with who they know and not necessarily take a chance. And publishing is a small world. And then academic publishing is a smaller world within that and then I think there's turnover because and I think this is something that people who are higher up in publishing and who are entrenched with publishing don't see but I think people come in as an editorial assistant and they're disillusioned I think people do not come into publishing and think oh my god wow this is amazing I think that Mm -hmm. used to be what people did. I think it used to be this very magical world that if you could get into it'd be great but I feel like people are just way more up. people know what they're worth people are a bit more savvy and I think they come in and they're just like no I don't want to be treated this way I don't see a clear path of progression for me here so I'm going to leave and I think um something that's quite interesting is that a lot, I would say, a lot of the white people who I've seen leave publishing have stayed within publishing. The people of color that I've seen leave have left publishing. Mm, um, exactly. So there seems to be a very big disillusionment with publishing as a whole. It's not, it's not great pay, and you have to work hard, and it's a long time that you have to wait for an opportunity comes up. Honestly, me getting a commissioning editor job was really rare and Mm -hmm. quite frankly quite crazy as well. I would say I had two editors who I guess saw potential and were willing to take a chance. I was up against someone else who I think was already a commissioning editor in education at another publisher Mm -hmm. so I think they were more willing to see the potential and take a chance but I think anyone else who was in that position might not want to. They might not want to take that chance. They might want to just go with the person that already has mm-hmm. that that publishing experience. Um, so I think I think there's a number of reasons. What we need to do as well is change the culture of publishing. I think minority groups um, come into publishing it's really annoying I keep like I keep saying minority groups but I'm just like white people are the minority in the world <laughs> but the but groups come into publishing and the culture is not built for them it's it can be quite a hostile environment for people yeah. to work in mm-hmm. and I think that is something that has taken a really long time to convince other people of who, who, the, who the world is built for so I think there's also quite a hostile environment. You can feel like a bit of an outsider. I've definitely had times where I have felt like an outsider, um, where I feel like I've just been like hitting my head against a wall. There was a time when I was talking about, oh, we should look at books around decolonization years ago. Mm-hmm. But now that's something that's happening. Um, so I think it can be hard as well if you're quite progressive to Feel that you fit in
0: yeah well because like you said um a lot of groups who have worked in publishing and they leave they don't tend to stick to the same industry is that sort of the case you think with all industries within the creative sector or publishing specifically because I do know that's publishing it's you know stereotypically middle class um yeah white dominated have to have a university english lit degree or something do you think Publishing slightly more coveted in terms of industries within the creative sector and that's why people leave.
1: I guess it's, it's hard for me to comment because I think p- publishing is the only kind of experience within the creative sector that I've had. But when I've spoken to people who come from different areas, it seems like it's very much, it has the same kind of problems, there's the same lack of diversity and I think it's very much all about gatekeeping and I think people are learning more about this now but when you hire someone you tend to hire someone you feel comfortable with who you're familiar with who is a bit like you who is into the same things that you are and I think we've had years and years and years of that kind of hiring and I think when moving out of it jobs are more competency kind of based in terms of questions but I think it's very much been in groups hiring people who yeah. were who just part of their group already. I think mm-hmm. difference to people can be quite scaring in hiring. And I, I know that sounds extreme and people are not necessarily thinking along those lines, but difference when you're hiring is, is uncomfortable, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we've ended up with the creative industries having the makeup that they do.
0: Mm -hmm. So I know at SAGE, um, to combat this sort of prejudices against groups in interviews, I understand there's um, the interview panel is very like select. So could you talk us through what the interview panel is like at SAGE and what the mission is of the makeup of the panel?
1: Yeah, so now when we're hiring at Sage so you have the hiring manager perhaps their manager or someone else from that team in an interview but you also need to get someone from a diverse background onto the panel as well Mm -hmm. because interviews are usually two stages at Sage for the first one you might have someone of color but in the second one you might have a man because it's a women majority company um men are a minority so you might have a man you might have someone who identifies as being within the LGBTQIA plus community you might even have someone who is from a more working class background Mm -hmm. Um, and they are there on that panel to make sure that there is no bias to make sure that the interviews are done fairly and I think also just to give the person who's being interviewed like some variation I think when you're going to interviews within publishing, you are often faced with white people in higher positions to interview you. It's always white people who are the hiring managers, and I think that can be really off-putting if you're someone of colour. It makes you immediately think this is not a space for me. So I think having diversity on the interview panel says we are we are welcoming. We like there is someone who looks like you in this position. Mm. You can progress here. You can grow here whether that's actually the case in practice is hard to say
0: but it's a step yeah and was this a recent policy in SAGE or when was this introduced this
1: I feel was introduced a few years ago I feel like I've been on interview panels since maybe 2018 um so it's it's been in place for a while I think We're still perfecting it in terms of, you know, people getting training a lot because the people who are on the panel are not necessarily hiring managers themselves. They haven't had that training. Yeah. So for instance, I don't manage anyone. So I have not had interview training. This is something that they need to roll out. They need to make sure that everyone has training. People are more comfortable. People have a good understanding of the competency-based questions. But I would say that it has been. Successful in that, I think it has helped with the increase in diversity, and it has helped to kind of make sure that bias isn't playing out within the interview space.
0: So, of course, it's it's amazing that they're having these diverse panels and they're having people from different groups. But do you think sometimes someone who gets who gets asked to sit on the panel may feel like they're just there to fill a quota? They think, well.
1: I'm not yeah. adequately
0: trained. I don't know anything about this role or this um, books list. Why am I here? I'm just here to fill a quota.
1: Yeah. And I'm I guess I'm quite happy to speak about my experience of it. So I worked out that I had done 33 individual interviews since mm-hmm. December um, of last okay. year.
0: Okay. So um, was it a case of we need someone who is BAME? We'll go to Delena. Yeah, I think it's that.
1: I'm someone who's within the editorial department. There aren't many of us within the editorial department and hiring managers want someone on the panel that has an understanding of the job. So they they Mm. want someone within the editorial department that has an understanding of the job that's being advertised. I think because there is a small number Mm. of people who can be that diverse panellist at the company it puts a bit of pressure on them in terms of workload and they will get asked more than once, like I've been asked more than once. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So I think there needs to be an understanding of the additional work that this puts on people. And I honestly feel like there should be some kind of remuneration in terms of Mm -hmm. having some flexibility within workload, but then also getting something back. And it doesn't necessarily have to be loads of money. It can be a voucher. It can be something which shows that the company appreciates the time that these people are taking Mm -hmm. to do the interview um, because it's not part of their role because they are not the hiring manager and they will inevitably within their own department have to be the hiring manager. And if that's the case, that's fine. That is literally part of their job. But I do feel if people are doing anything within the company which is related to their identity which is about helping the company achieve greater diversity they should be remunerated for it because I think there has been so much free labor from from anyone who's not within the majority group and I think that needs to be rectified and I think this is an issue across every industry every every area not just publishing it's I think it's about remuneration. It's about acknowledging that this isn't just additional workload, but it's also a psychological addition mm-hmm. to people's lives. And that's an addition to being, you know, for, for me, being a mixed-race woman, I think there are certain ways that I have to present myself. There are certain ways that I have to be. I've been in white spaces. For a long time and I think there is a certain amount of I think maybe policing myself I don't think that's the right word but just watching myself to make sure yeah. that I am fitting into those spaces and I'm doing that and then on top of that it's doing the diversity work that I'm trying to push for it's it's additional labor and I think that needs to be recognized but obviously within the capitalist kind of society that we're in, the only work that is recognised is work that that produces, <laughs> that produces money basically that has a concrete, um, a kind of concrete link to money going up, mm. and I think it's it's difficult to prove and people do not appreciate emotional labour, psychological labour, so it can be hard to bring people around to that that mm. there needs to be some kind of payment for that work
0: exactly, and. When you were starting out in this industry with even less diversity back then, were you scared mm. of going into this industry? Because it was so dominated by one group. And if you had your sights set on publishing, how did you like, go about it? And how did you get over the hurdles of being someone from a diverse group?
1: Yeah, I would say, to be honest, I don't think I really thought about my race. Too much when I was getting into publishing, and I think this is this is for a number of reasons. I went to a school that was all white, and I felt different. Um, and I went to I went to the University of Leeds, and I did a literature and a classics degree, which mm-hmm. was all white. Okay, yeah. But I honestly didn't have a way to articulate what I was feeling or the difference I was dealing with until I was doing my part-time MA which started in 2017, which I did while I was working at SAGE. And until I did my own learning about race, until I found people like Angela Davis and Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks, I didn't actually have a way to articulate what I was experiencing. And I think this can be the case for so many people of color as well, especially when you're receiving an incredibly white education. And if you're doing something like literature, you are getting a white education. I think now they are a bit more diverse. So there was always a thing that I felt, but I didn't know how to articulate it. And I feel like once you educate yourself, you can't not see it anymore. It's kind of like the matrix.
0: Mm. So you
1: then recognise why people are speaking to you the way that they are, why they're asking you the things that they're asking you. So when I was going into publishing, race wasn't actually something that I thought about. Um, but then after I did my learning, like I remember going for an interview at a literary agent and the guy, I was there in in the office alone with this white guy and the job was to be his assistant. There was no one else there in the office. And I remember him saying to me like, I just wanted to see what you look like. And it um, took me- Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think he saw Delana. I think he saw, I don't know, maybe my job history, but it, it took me a while to really understand what he meant. And he, he did a lot of things. He made me feel like I didn't belong there, like I would never get into publishing, like publishing was not a space for me. He literally brought me in to make me feel like shit. Um, uh-huh. That is essentially what happened. That, like, I didn't get a lot of interviews and I guess like I should maybe talk about how I got into publishing so like I said I did I did a literature degree and I always wanted to work in publishing that was where it was for me so that was my plan I did I did some internships so I basically googled and I would recommend other people do this but I googled every publishing house literary agents in London I emailed all of them some of them gave me awful replies like I had clearly people who were assistants getting back to me just like oh this girl what a joke kind of thing um but I persevered I was like I'm gonna keep trying eventually I got an internship um at a publisher of like scripts for theatre and that was really nice they gave me proper work it was mm -hmm. really good I I learned a lot And then when I moved to London, I just I couldn't get a job in publishing. I ended up going to a recruitment place which was in Canary Wharf without knowing what Canary Wharf was. I was just in (laughs) Greenwich, and that was the closest place. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, "Oh, there's a job going next door. Do you want to interview?" And I was like, "Sure." Don't know what the job is, and it ended up being basically a project management role at Mm -hmm. Texaco, Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
1: and it was the role was project managing rolling out broadband and new card payment technology to all of the petrol Mm -hmm. stations somehow I got the job they took me and actually I have to say because I was working more in the IT department my team was really diverse there was a Nigerian man
0: Ah. there's a
1: um a woman who was black British Mm. um and also someone of um South Asian heritage as well so we actually had quite a diverse team we also had team members in Wales and we also had team members that I worked with in Amarillo in Texas oh. so it was actually quite a diverse team and again I think that that was really like I came into the space and there are issues like that there, there were issues to do with sexism like not uh, race okay. issues but there was massive sexism and that was something I had to build a really thick skin like there Mm -hmm. was obviously sexism like meetings without me and the other woman decisions being made behind our backs Mm -hmm. really awful comments like I had my manager just come in one day and ask me why I was living in sin why wasn't I married yet and that kind of thing and because of the nature of just like this Canary Wharf kind of oil company machine I built a really thick skin and I was I just had to deal with it and I had to get on with life and I would get to Sunday and I'd just be so depressed but I just had to get on with it and I did um I did a few more internships I did one at Bloomsbury in my holiday I did another one as well um eventually I got a job at in the rights department, at a journals publisher, a medical journals publisher and then I got a job at Sage. But I was desperately, desperately, desperately trying to get into publishing and I think people looked at my CV and they didn't, I think they didn't like what they saw. I remember speaking to someone on the phone and they were very much like, oh you're making more where you are now, you'll get paid less and I was like yeah, yeah, that's fine, I will take a pay cut. Mm. But they just I don't know I think I was probably making the same amount perhaps as a commissioning editor at that time Mm -hmm. and that just put them off and they Mm -hmm. didn't trust that I would stay and so that was a barrier I think after going to that interview and meeting that guy race was becoming a barrier but I didn't realize it at the time and then I got into I got into Sage and I think I think I honestly kind of had a bit of an awakening about my race at Sage, having been in white spaces. It was the first time it kind of became apparent to me.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm
1: not saying anyone was awful to me or racist, but I've definitely had a few like comments about my hair being frizzy. Oh. You know, do I use do I use shea butter because you know my skin is special? Um, <laughs> things like that. So, and I think because it is a social science publisher obviously like things like critical race theory, um, sociology working on that list I think I just learned and I became to have an understanding of what the system that I'd been part of and what I'd experienced Um, (laughs) so I I would say in some ways my ignorance was a bit of a I don't know if it was a privilege but there was an ignorance which I think Stopped me from being held back mm. but then once I did have a better understanding it's there's a lot that comes with that, I think
0: yeah and you said you interned at um, various publishing houses that primarily are trade as opposed to academic do you find that there's yes. a difference with, um, in terms of diversity inclusivity or like diverse recruitment diverse publishing between trade and academic because they're, they're so different but they're in the same industry
1: they are so different, but to be honest, I mean, I'm part of the um, Black Agents and Editors group now, which I think me and one other person are in academic publishing, the rest are in trade, and the issues that we have are the same, basically. Um, and I guess when I was doing these internships, they were they were ages ago now, they're like over five years ago. Everywhere I went was white, um, everyone had the same kind of background there was one literary agent where I just people who were assistants just kind of treated me like crap there were definitely things that I felt doing those internships I felt out of place Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: I felt unwelcome there was one place I was doing the internship at the same time as someone who was doing a publishing MA who Mm -hmm. had been to this publishers more than once they knew her and they gave her proper work she was doing proper assistant work but they made me do things like so they wanted to do a pitch to an author and they had me cut out all of these like animals and leaves and trees to decorate Mm -hmm. the editor's walls with So they sent me to the craft shop. They made me cut out all these leaves. On the leaves, they wanted comments from people at the company about what they thought about the book. So I spent like a week doing that. And this was when I did that when I had my job at Texaco. Like I was a project manager basically. I spent a week doing that. And I was taking on paid holiday as well for this internship. I know that's like a really privileged position to be in compared Mm -hmm. to someone else, I get that but there was such a disparity between the work I was being yeah. given and this other girl. And I think because she, oh, she's doing a publishing master's but I wasn't, there was a difference there. Mm-hmm. And then they just didn't give me work. I just sat there in the office and I just read books and I didn't learn anything. And I came out of it just feeling really negative about publishing. Um, yeah. I just felt like this isn't a space for me. This isn't a place where I can flourish and I don't have a publishing master's. So apparently I don't have the experience. So, yeah, I, it feels like even though trade and academic are a different, they're different kind of industries, the, the, diff- the diversity issues are the same across them.
0: Yeah well you've come a long way since then. Um, I I understand you've commissioned a lot of stuff on diversity and anti-racism like the little guides of the social justice Um, so could you talk us through your projects that you've been commissioning?
1: Yeah so one of the things that I did when I started on the education list was to um, kind of create from the ground up a new series for teachers and I actually have I don't know if you'll have seen them but I know people won't see it, but here is an example of one. So they're called Little Guides for Teachers. They're really interactive. You can like write in them and they're cheap books. I can't remember how much they are. I feel like they're $9.99 or $10.99, but they're something incredibly different, at a lower price point that we'd never done before. And I guess I saw that a load of other publishers were having success with series And I kind of thought, what if we had a series which was really geared towards what teachers need in a really accessible, concise way, but also something they can engage with, they can write in it, it provides continuous kind of training. So I have this series and it's doing well. Um, One of the books is on diversity in schools and one is on well-being and self-care. Mental health is a very big topic within education um, for both pupils and teachers. Something that we did to kind of find the topics that we wanted to cover was to survey a load of teachers and basically ask them what do you want to see covered Um, and that provided the commissioning hit list and that's something that we've done with the um, second wave which I'm commissioning now. The other series that I'm working on is outside of the kind of educational publishing that I do and it's more interdisciplinary and it's a social justice series which platforms people of color and their voices on speaking to really big topics that are are taking place in the world now. Um, And because I want to kind of challenge everything about academia, I want to challenge the idea of what an expert looks like. An expert in academia is an older white guy, right? (laughs) So I want diverse voices within academia. I don't necessarily want people that have PhDs. I fully believe you can be an expert without having a PhD. A PhD is not accessible to everyone. Yeah. University is an ivory tower, people
0: gatekeep. Mm-hmm.
1: I want social activists um, and independent researcher and people who are just like people who are getting MAs to write for this series. Um, I also want people are doing a lot on social media and who are really kind of shouting, who are being loud, who are putting themselves in the firing line and raising awareness and raising other voices to be part of the series. I think within academia there is a lot of kind of people going into spaces, so white people going into spaces and extracting data, extracting lived experience and there is no respect for the lived experiences of non-white people to be included as research. And I want to just completely Mm
0: -hmm. go against that. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: So it's basically a, a series which platforms different voices and challenges academia as it is now. And it's something I feel very passionately about. The books are also going to be 35,000 words, they're going to be quite um, affordable as well, so I think Mm -hmm. they're about 10 or 11.99. So they're accessible in terms of format, they're not big, long academic books. Academic books are expensive, and I don't want these books to be expensive. I want them to be available to a wider public who have an understanding but maybe are not necessarily within an academic space. Mm-hmm. And I don't want them to be written in academic jargon. I think some academics deliberately use complex language to keep people out and to appear really smart. And I <laughs> feel have noticed from the way that I talk, I don't use complex language. I just don't think you need to, to get your mm-hmm. point across. And that's something that I want to encourage my authors to do. And this means that you know, if I am going to someone very academic, it's me saying no jargon no just ridiculous language for the sake of it like write as though you're speaking to everyone be inclusive so i'm trying to be as inclusive as i can and then i guess on the education list i've commissioned um a number of authors of color who are working as consultants who are teachers um to write about diversity to write about anti-racism but I've also got people who are neurodiverse who are speaking to issues around ADHD and autism and so special educational needs and disabilities a big thing within schools within education in the UK and probably in a lot of other places there is not the money um, to support people who are not defined as neurotypical and there are teachers out there who are advocating for students who may have ADHD, ADHD has also the highest exclusion rate as well. Uh, So what I want is for people to write resources from their lived experiences and from the work that they're doing to help teachers with supporting these students so they are not getting excluded. Um, And I also have authors who come from working class backgrounds who are really passionate about that. And that's something that I'm really passionate about. I come from a working class background. I had a single parent who was seventeen when she had me, mm-hmm. who had to put herself through education and all the rest of it. And that could have gone either way. The system is not set up to support those people. And I, I kind of, I want people, I want authors who have the same beliefs as me to work with me. Um, that's really important. Um, it might mean that I'm missing out on people
0: but I don't super care about that so if yeah I mean you're not really missing out on people I'd say if you're targeting the no. voice that, like <laughs> really important really need to be heard then you know perfect um, that leads us on to my last question quite nicely Yeah, I want to know you would like to see publishing industries to do to encourage diversity so like you just said um commissioning series really focus on inclusivity and commissioning authors from a diverse background something you can do in both academic and trade um but what other ways can this industry tackle the lack of diversity oh my god there are so many things that i want people to do in publishing
1: so i think that the bonuses of people who are VPG level, people who are CEOs, whatever, people that are just high up, that get a good bonus, they should be tied into both diversity and sustainability goals for the company. Mm -hmm. I think whether they've achieved those goals should be judged by the employees. And I think that shows commitment from people who are higher up, they're willing to put their money on the line to achieve the things that would make the company a better place I think rather than hiring diversity entry-level roles we should be fast-tracking people I don't think you necessarily need to have been an editorial assistant to be a commissioning editor my job is like I think as an as an assistant your job is so content-based and my job is still content-based but it's really about networking it's about seeing trends it's reaching out to people it's befriending people is my job is so much about talking which is something I didn't realize it would be when I was an editorial mm-hmm. assistant and to be honest that wasn't really well suited to me but you don't necessarily need to have that background in publishing you don't need It shouldn't be a requirement to have a publishing master's. A publishing master's is just another way, I think, for universities Mm -hmm. to make money off of students. It's another industry they've spotted. Mm -hmm. And the amount of people they churn through a publishing MA, there are not enough roles for that. There are not enough roles for those people. I don't think a degree should be a requirement. I think we need to be doing more outreach as an industry to colleges, to schools, And we need to be doing more outreach to areas outside of London. I think COVID has proven to everyone that you don't need to be in the office to do this work. It's all electronic now. We are not dealing with paper manuscripts. Anyone who's doing that is just wasting paper. And I think we need to be open, especially to people in entry level roles, living wherever they want. Like I imagine some people will just want to move to London and that's fine, but it should not be a requirement. The London, living in London is expensive. Travel is expensive. Um, So I think it's giving people the freedom to live where they want. And I think if we're letting people at a high level go off to start families wherever they want, in Kent, Essex, whatever, we should let people at lower levels have the freedom to work where there is. So there needs to be more trust, I think, for people who are coming in. I think people at the top need to listen to people at the bottom Mm -hmm. on a range of issues. I think people who are at lower levels should have a seat at the table when it comes to diversity, when it comes to any conversation that is about the culture of the company or making the company better, there needs to be a wider outreach of opinions and suggestions. I think... People who are younger than me, it makes me feel so old to say. <laughs> but people who are coming into publishing are so much more clued up than I was at that age. Like they're doing the kind of work that I'm doing now at university. They have such a good understanding of social justice issues. And I think, yeah, fair enough. They might not know how to run a business. But quite frankly, the people at the top have been running a business. And it's not inclusive. It's not diverse. They've got the same issues that they've had for years. So mm. let newer voices have a say. And that, like, I truly believe that with me as well. I don't think it should just be me pushing diversity. I think it should be me platforming people mm. who are coming in to do that as well. And like when I was leading the fame group, I don't think there was never a consideration for me just sitting on that forever. I passed it on to someone who is younger than me to give them the chance to kind of take that role. But also because I can't speak to every, every kind of racial group. I can't. I'm yeah. a mixed race woman. I have privilege in that. So I think we need to be a lot more open in hearing different voices. We need to do a lot more outreach when it comes to authors. I think that is all I can think of right now. I think just there needs to be a lot of training. People need to commit to the training and you need to force people to do the training. But yeah, I think those are some of the things I'd like to see. I probably want to see a lot more, but those are the things that kind of come to mind right now.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here today. And there was some really insightful answers and especially from a unique point of someone who's so senior within the editorial books list at an academic publishing company Um, so some really really insightful answers and the series that you've commissioned sounds absolutely amazing and I'll be sure to link it um within the podcast as well but thank you so much for being here Delana. thanks for having me thank you thank you For listening to this episode of Inside Publishing. That was Mandy Gow in conversation with Delena Spencer. Some of Delena's projects are linked in the bio and you can also find her on Twitter at, at @delana_spencer. underscore Spencer.